Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this evening. Uh, thank you for bringing us all together uh, safely. And uh, we're grateful for, for your son uh, and for uh, his, his body, the body of Christ. We pray that you would build us all up in your word, uh, that you would teach us and remind us of all of your promises and uh, all of uh, your blessings and righteousness that's found only in your son, uh, that we'd be built up and taught by you and that our confidence would uh, rest uh, in your word, uh, the very, very word of God. And so I pray that our time would be honoring to you and that you'd be with us and teach us through your spirit and that you uh, and your son would be glorified uh, forever and ever. And we pray in his name. Amen. And so, last time, yeah, doing, doing some of that. They have more of that to do. So. Um, but last time, I guess we got kind of off track, but not not totally. It's a little, little bit of an excursus, and they'll be they'll be the last one on the life and uh, offices of Moses. Although, you know, we'll still weave uh, some of that in a little bit. And we'll be transitioning more now to uh, looking at some of the evidence uh, just for uh, Moses' authorship and role as a mediator and uh, God bringing about all, all this material, all this uh, scripture and these covenantal documents uh, for his people, uh, for the Israelites, because they'll help us establish the context in which they were uh, written to keep in mind the, the author and the, the audience. Uh, and also uh, just to undergird uh, some of what scripture just says about uh, Moses' uh, role. Uh, and as for last time, just, just a couple more thoughts. Uh, we were really kind of dealing with, I mean, the theme was really issues of tradition uh, in, in God's word, the, the authority of God's word, uh, the reliability uh, coming from Moses, his prophets, and, and apostles, who speaks for God, and how to rightly interpret it and handle it. And although I, I fully believe in the, the unity of Scripture and think that's one of the greatest evidences of that it's not just the words of men, but the, word, uh, the very words of God. Uh, you, can't, you can't get 40 plus uh, philosophers who all come from the same school of philosophy, you know, to write a unified work in which they're in perfect harmony uh, on the most controversial matters of uh, election and predestination and uh, the nature of God and uh, eternal life and eternal punishment and uh, justification by grace alone through faith alone. You can't do that. Uh, people don't, they don't agree, you know, on that level. And, Although you have different personalities and different uh, writing styles and such uh, by the prophets, and uh, you have reluctant prophets like uh, Jonah who didn't want to go preach to the Ninevites, uh, still he proclaimed the word of God because, uh, like Jeremiah, he put it in his mouth, and you'll speak the words that I'll, I'll put in your mouth. Uh, and so you have the unity of Scripture and We'll talk more about, because if, if you don't go too in-depth in some of those issues, you know, there can be misunderstandings where 
yes, later authors help inform uh, our understanding of what uh, comes before as we see them uh, deal with similar themes that develop and expand and uh, the, the unfolding of, of God's word and, uh, and also uh, as they draw on uh, texts and, and prophets uh, and even apostles that came, uh, came before them. And so it's not that it doesn't shed light uh, and that, I mean, it's helpful for even understanding they shared a similar culture. Uh, a lot of them lived in uh, similar times, you know, even though it's written uh, over almost 14, 15, uh, 100, 100 years. Uh, and so there, there's so much you can draw on. And the more you read uh, the whole Bible, uh, the whole counsel of God, and read uh, broadly and, and deeply, uh, and not just, not just sort of atomize and the text and take verses out of context, but uh, read whole books uh, at a time. There are more people kind of uh, talking about that. Hey, we should read, you know, let's read whole books at a time. And some of them are a little longer, you know, maybe uh, harder, maybe take it in a, a few sittings or <laughs> so, you know, Isaiah, Psalms. Uh, but just to read God's word uh, broadly and deeply, and the more we get in us, the more we'll understand it. But that doesn't take away that we have to handle it in its original context. We have to deal with uh, the authors through whom God spoke uh, in their original context. Uh, and we can't, we can't uh, just, just bypass that because we run the risk of Moses was comprehensible in his own day uh, when he wrote it to the people. Uh, what he wrote could be understood by the people. Uh, he wasn't just speaking gibberish and such and that until 1500 years later you get the apostles oh now Moses you know uh, now now Moses uh, is meaningful you know what what he wrote now now it can be understood no Jesus held uh, the religious teachers and leaders in his own day accountable for understanding the scriptures have you not read? <laughs> he expected them to read and to understand what Moses had written. And so that's why they were culpable and guilty. Uh, and so we, we spoke about just even the test for a prophet that they, if they contradicted what had come before, they were a false prophet. They were to be rejected. And uh, Jesus upheld uh, the scriptures. He, he upheld uh, Moses and the, the prophets and their, their authority. So I just don't want to be misunderstood as far as, uh, no, uh, reading uh, later authors uh, in, in scripture and such doesn't at all inform and help our understanding, but it doesn't take away from reading it in context. And also I was kind of thinking about, we were talking about like, you know, sometimes capital R like reformed and such. Uh, and we're dealing with things like uh, talking about infant baptism and, and some things uh, Dan was talking about that rely heavily like on tradition and such. And, you know, it kind of, kind of sounds like we're, we're beating up you know, our, our uh, Reformed uh, brothers and uh, sisters, uh, which is kind of funny because I, I, I wouldn't think of, uh, you know, maybe being so critical you know, some some years ago, and maybe Bob uh, has has rubbed off on me a little bit, uh, just dealing with things like tradition. 
And, you know, there are so many things, uh, the, the solas uh, of the Reformation, which are biblical, by the way. You know, that's why uh, they, they were going back, uh, back to Scripture. Uh, they were upholding uh, Scripture, uh, sola scriptura, as, as the, I mean, it's the only uh, inerrant, uh, God-breathed <laughs> word that we have. Uh, it's, it's the ultimate and final authority uh, for all matters of uh, what we're bound to believe and how we ought to live. And so for dealing with uh, church disputes and controversies, you know, we, we need to go to Scripture. And so uh, the, the solas, uh, I'd hold to the, I thoroughly believe in the doctrines of grace. Uh, I will even defend uh, Christ's uh, perfect uh, intercessory penal substitutionary atonement and that uh, although he is the redeemer of uh, all people without distinction uh, Jew, Gentile male, female, slave free uh, his intercessory atoning work is a new covenant work and James White and others have spoken about that and it perfects all those uh, for whom it's made for those who are who belong to the new covenant, uh, for those who are given from the Father to the Son. And a lot of people find that, wait, he didn't die for everyone without exception? He didn't die for Judas? He didn't die for, for Pharaoh? And he interceded for, for Judas and Pharaoh and failed? The Father rejected his intercession? I, I think that's so profoundly unbiblical. And so, I mean, God's sovereignty, uh, the, the doctrines of grace, the, uh, the sola grace alone, uh, all of the solas, I mean, there, there's so much that I appreciate uh, from uh, what God did in the Reformation. And not that the, the gospel, there's always a remnant, but uh, he, he preserved his people, but a uh, real renewal and going back to scripture and back, uh, back to the gospel. So, uh, you know, kind of talk about capital R reformed. A lot of times that's used for uh, a lot of times people who will hold to uh, like a reformed uh, Presbyterian view. Um, some won't allow it to be applied to reformed Baptists. And there are a lot of uh, sort of disputes about that. But uh, more and more I see the goal isn't see how quote unquote reformed we are, if that's just looking at a historical point in time. But if we're talking about uh, always reforming according to the word of God, then yeah, uh, ab absolutely. And so just understand kind of that distinction between the traditions and, and the, the authority uh, of the, the word. And I was even just kind of thinking about how more over the years I've heard, and it's not all, uh, one of my, uh, I guess, I want to show maybe favoritism, but <laughs> one of my uh, favorite uh, classmates uh, when I, took classes online at uh, Northwestern College or uh, formerly known as Northwestern College, now University of Northwestern St. Paul, um, was a, a Reformed Presbyterian fellow uh, named uh, Andrew Watson. And I think he, he was even like in the Rangers when he was younger and was injured and uh, God used that time uh, to uh, study scripture and help his brother who was like falling into error and such and uh, I really appreciated him and he, he'd go to scripture he loved the gospel uh, 
he, he understood it, he was growing in it, he, he was very passionate about it. Uh, he, he'd walked uh, with the Lord long, longer than I had. And so I really appreciated him and he, he's a reformed uh, Presbyterian. So I, I, I disagree you know, on some particular uh, issues, but I don't want to, you know, just sound like, uh, you know, we're, we're just gunning for, <laughs> for uh, you know, all, all of our uh, Reformed brothers and sisters, and I, I'd identify and, you know, uh, share a lot, and uh, so would uh, Eric and Bob and uh, our, our elders and uh, church and such. Uh, so I just kind of want to, to qualify <laughs> qualify some of those things. But uh, as for tonight, let's uh, go ahead and open up to Exodus 17. I just want to look and work through, first starting with mostly the explicit statements about uh, what uh, Moses wrote down, uh, even what, what God wrote down. Sometimes God writes uh, what, what God commands, what God commands of uh, Moses. Uh, sometimes Moses writes, uh, sometimes uh, writes from, from God. Uh, sometimes uh, he gives, uh, he, he speaks and proclaims the word of God. Uh, he, he often does that. Uh, he also uh, commands and the word comes uh, by the, the mouth of Moses uh, to the people. And we'll see that Ithamar, uh, who was uh, uh, Aaron's, one of Aaron's uh, sons, uh, Eliezer and uh, Ithamar. Uh, he writes down uh, under the instruction of Moses. Uh, the elders write things down. And so uh, to say that Moses uh, is uh, the, the author, I mean, especially it focuses on his like mediatorial role in giving scripture. And we saw that his name is attached, one, because as far as humans go, he's the most central participant and actor in all of these events uh, over 40 years and uh, four books, Exodus through Deuteronomy, this massive portion of scripture, uh, but also as mediator and giving the, the covenant uh, and uh, commanding and teaching and, uh, and, and writing down uh, the words of God. But it doesn't mean that he was the only one ever to set his hand uh, to, uh, to parchment or, or to uh, uh, clay or, or the you know, different ways they'd write. Uh, he has Ithamar and the elders and uh, people among the Levites even work as uh, scribes for him to, uh, to record things and in, in giving the census and uh, taking records of the tabernacle and uh, things like that. And so he entrusts certain things for them. But as uh, the prophet par excellence, as God's authoritative spokesman and the mediator of the covenant, uh, he oversees and instructs and teaches uh, these things, and they uh, write under his instruction and uh, at, at his behest. And uh, even at the end of the uh, book of Joshua, you see that uh, Joshua writes things down as they renew the covenant and such. And so some of that you wouldn't, you wouldn't get a full picture if you just look at uh, what the rest of the Bible says about Moses, which we'll look at, uh, especially more, uh, Lord willing, uh, next week. Uh, but uh, you see a little more detail and such about how they uh, worked and, and wrote and recorded all the records of the tabernacle and the census and uh, such. And so uh, he, 
it doesn't give us every detail, but he, he had people like uh, Ithamar and uh, Joshua and elders and such that uh, he wanted them to take records. Uh, he could instruct them to, uh, to do so. And so there are a couple uh, final things. There'll be a, just a little bit of review. We're given more of a survey of Moses' life and offices. And we'll just touch on a couple things that uh, we covered a bit, but then uh, we'll be in uh, some looking at some uh, new material. And so now we, we're going to mostly look at where he explicitly writes things down, uh, but there's a lot of uh, implicit things going on and such uh, with his uh, commandments. And so we could have even looked uh, earlier uh, back, uh, earlier in Exodus, where uh, as they're coming out of Egypt and with the uh, final, uh, final plagues, uh, God has Moses instruct the people concerning uh, the Passover, uh, concerning uh, the, what to do with the firstborn of their uh, livestock and their cattle and uh, their uh, herds, uh, goats and sheep, uh, what they're to do with the, uh, their firstborn uh, sons and dedicating them to God and uh, redeeming them, uh, not sacrificing them, but redeeming them, you know, like, like Isaac. Uh, and he instructs them uh, concerning uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and, uh, and just different feasts and such where here they're holding the first Passover, uh, the first week of unleavened bread and uh, dedicating their sons uh, and instructions on the Sabbath and such uh, as, as these things come. And so he's instructing them and these things we then find written down and we'll find them written down some of the things we, uh, we cover. And so whether he wrote on that very day, you know, eventually throughout this time, uh, he writes these things. And uh, also with uh, uh, the song they sing uh, that uh, Yahweh, the Lord, had thrown a horse and uh, uh, the rider into the, into the sea. He cast uh, Pharaoh's uh, uh, horsemen and chariots uh, into the sea and utterly destroyed them. Uh, and we're going to see other songs where it explicitly says he wrote it down. Uh, they sang that song, and it was recorded. Uh, they often uh, recorded songs and poetry uh, that would remind them of what God had done for them. Uh, you even see the blessing of Jacob uh, at the end of Genesis and such. And so uh, you have poetry and songs and all of these things to remember. And they direct uh, monuments and standing, you know, pillars and such uh, and name places and towns. And uh, he gives significance uh, to, to his uh, bow that he puts in the sky, you know, the rainbow with Noah, all these things to remember. Uh, so we could have gone back even earlier, but uh, the first record of writing down is with the Amalekites as they're going through the wilderness, come out of Egypt uh, in these 40 days as they head to, to Sinai. And the Amalekites come out uh, and attack the Israelites from behind and uh, the weak uh, who are kind of lagging behind. And so contrasting, Jethro comes after a Midianite who blesses Israel, but the Amalekites, uh, they wage war with them. Uh, they take advantage of them, so they, they curse them. They, they become enemies. And so just look at uh, Exodus 17. 
We'll just start with verse 12, just for a little context. And so Joshua went out to fight. Moses was holding up the staff, uh, but Moses' hands grew weary. Uh, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, uh, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. And so the staff of God showing uh, a symbol of the authority that God has given uh, to Moses. And uh, God is standing present at Mount Sinai uh, watching over them. And he gives the, the victory. And so Joshua overwhelmed Amalek uh, and his people with the sword. Uh, then Yahweh said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, uh, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of Yahweh, uh, Yahweh will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And now, throne of Yahweh, a lot of times I think the heavens are uh, called his uh, throne. And so he's, he's present at Sinai. So whether, you know, Sinai or the, the heavens, uh, hand upon it, he swears uh, that uh, Yahweh will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And uh, the Amalekites, as I recall, are descendants of Esau. Uh, so they come from, uh, from Esau. And you have uh, this set up where they become enemies, and there's this uh, whole trajectory through, throughout Scripture uh, set up. It's, it's programmatic uh, for this conflict that they're going to have with uh, descendants of Esau, but more, than, more specifically uh, with the Amalekites. Uh, and it even goes, it goes through David's day, uh, and, and Saul, Saul refuses to strike down uh, Agag, the, the leader, ruler of the Amalekites. And Samuel has to strike him down. Uh, you know, he, he strikes down all the, I think even like the women and children and, and the, uh, the weak things they didn't care about. But he preserves Amalek in rebellion against God's explicit word. Uh, this was one who had cursed his people who sought their destruction uh, and who, in that case, cursed, cursed God, uh, the one true living God. And so uh, they're enemies of God. Uh, they had set themselves up as, as enemies of God. And it even goes until uh, the time of Esther and Mordecai, who's a descendant of, uh, is it Shimi? Uh, or Shimei, uh, the son of Kish, brother of Saul. He's a descendant through another line, through uh, Saul, son of Kish. So through, through his, his uh, brother and uh, Haman, uh, the Agagite. So he's in the line of Agag, uh, later uh, ruler uh, of the uh, Amalekites. And in God's providence, uh, Haman is, is killed 
and uh, Mordecai is exalted. And Haman tried to wipe out all of the Jews and destroy them. So through all the way until Esther, which goes to, right basically to the very end of uh, the events uh, in the, the Old Testament and before the silent years until the anointed one uh, came, came on the scene, uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, you have this war that's set up and he says here, uh, this is the first thing, uh, as, as I recall, that's explicitly written down, uh, at least as, uh, as far as like Moses. Uh, then Yahweh said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. So you have this curse against those who, uh, who curse you. And it's a, Recite it, recite it in the ears of Joshua, so speak it. You know, he's off, Moses often proclaims things, but write it, you know, write it down uh, in a book or a scroll. It, it's to be, uh, to be inscribed and recorded for a memory that God had declared this and pronounced this. Uh, and going into the conquest, Joshua is going to play an important, important role uh, in, the, in the conquest and fighting against the Amalekites, which will go... Uh, through the time of Saul and David and uh, all the way to, uh, uh, to Mordecai and, and, uh, and Esther. And so here, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they're not all written. Uh, at first, you know, he, he wrote, wrote this down uh, uh, independently. Uh, he, he wrote this down, uh, recite in the ears of Joshua and write this down. But then uh, we're going to see that uh, as these things come together, uh, and really this is the start of, uh, we'll take a look at uh, the first year at Sinai and see all of these materials that are being written down just even in the very first year uh, before they go through the 40 years. And uh, we'll see more written down at that time as they come to the end, uh, right before the, the conquest. And so... Uh, uh, the, the first explicit mention is right right here. And I'll go to Exodus 19. And here they come to Sinai uh, to form the, the covenant. Uh, and uh, and they, uh, the first day, the second day, uh, so third month, first day, uh, second day, they sanctified themselves. On the third day, uh, God speaks to them. Uh, and he, he proclaims his, his own word audibly to the people. Uh, he, he actually speaks and they hear a voice uh, from heaven, a voice from, from Sinai uh, in seeing the, the flame of fire and the smoke and the thunder and the lightning and uh, the, the, the earthquake uh, as a demonstration that God is present and active uh, in, in the, the midst of the, the people. And they hear God uh, speak uh, audibly to them. Uh, and these things, what we'll see also with Deuteronomy, that they're kind of structured in a way that uh, share many similarities, some differences, but uh, many similarities that uh, scholars Eugene Merrill and others have spoken about uh, with uh, ancient Near Eastern covenants uh, of this time. And, and before, which again is 
consistent with uh, these things uh, being written and reflecting a time period in the second millennium, uh, the middle of the second millennium uh, BC. Uh, it reflects uh, sort of a treaties that would be written in, in the time uh, by a, a suzerain or a king, a great king or ruler uh, for his uh, vassals and uh, people. Uh, and they talked about how they'd have like, uh, and we'll talk more when we get to Deuteronomy, but uh, sometimes they'd have like a prologue uh, and a preamble that would sort of set the, the context and then uh, recount uh, the history of the, the king with, uh, with his people. Uh, and them being his, his people, his, his vassals, stewards, servants uh, to him, uh, and then uh, establish uh, uh, laws and, and principles and statutes for them to live by. Uh, and they'd have things like uh, blessings and cursings, uh, you know, if they, if they were uh, faithful uh, to the covenant and uh, would submit and uh, uh, obey uh, the, the king. Uh, and also uh, they'd have uh, things like uh, witnesses uh, that would witness and testify uh, to uh, the covenant, uh, to this legal relationship that is established uh, between uh, the king and uh, his, his people. And they even talk about uh, oftentimes there'll be something about uh, provisions for the, uh, the writing, uh, the, the law, the covenant treaty, uh, to be written down, recorded, to be read by by the rulers, and uh, and to be read regularly, and, and even posted in uh, in public, uh, so that they would uh, know and follow uh, follow uh, their their king, uh, and so you see a lot of these uh, shared shared elements. Uh, although uh, you even see uh, unique things uh, throughout uh, throughout as well, and so. Let's go just right into uh, chapter 20. And so uh, the people, you know, they're to approach, but then uh, hesitate once they saw how holy and righteous this God is and the, the fire and such. And so uh, the people do not approach uh, but Moses, he mediates uh, between God and the people, and uh, God himself uh, speaks. Uh, chapter 20, verse 1, and God spoke all these words. A lot of times it speak, speaks about the ten words. So sometimes it talks about the commandments, but they're often called the ten words that God gave. And so uh, throughout Jewish like history and tradition, and even biblically, uh, they'll often talk about the ten words, uh, whereas uh, oftentimes uh, Christians and such will talk about like the ten commandments. Uh, and you, you find both terminology uh, in there. And so God spoke all these words saying, I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So have context, the, the relationship between him and the people, and he even spoke about some of that in the preceding narrative. Uh, that they were to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a precious uh, possession, you know, of God. He he brought them out on eagles' wings uh, out of out of Egypt and had had redeemed them uh, to be His own possession. So you're there to be God's holy people. I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, Yahweh your God, am a jealous God. Uh, and so you have these repetition, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. Uh, but then when you get to uh, the Sabbath day, uh, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So it's not, uh, it's not you shall not, although you get some of that, you shall not do work, but remember the Sabbath day to keep it, to keep it holy. And when he gets to uh, uh, the fifth commandment, verse 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long uh, in the land that Yahweh your God is giving you. Uh, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover, covet your neighbor's wife. And so, again, uh, you get to the fourth, fifth commandment, it breaks sort of the pattern of you You shall not, you shall not, you shall not. You, you shall keep the, the Sabbath day. You know, six days you shall work. And honor your father and mother. But then you, you get to uh, uh, the sixth, a commandment on you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. So you have the positive commandments uh, in there kind of near the, the heart of it. And so you work through this, uh, verse 18, uh, through the, the 10 words. Now when all the people saw uh, the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, uh, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Uh, the people stood far off while Moses drew near uh, to the thick darkness where God was. And here's the pattern set up for God speaks now through, through his prophet. He spoke directly to them at this point uh, but now he speaks uh, through uh, Moses, uh, the mediator. Uh, and it's kind of interesting because you have so many parallels with Joshua, but you also have things where there, there are differences, where uh, Aaron spoke on Moses' behalf, but Joshua consult, consults with Eliezer, and God uh, answers and responds through like the... Uh, the Urim and the Thummim and uh, such, but you'll, you'll have you'll have prophets, uh, Joshua. You'll have uh, Samuel, uh, Elijah, Elisha. You know Nathan the prophet, uh, and God speaks through uh, through the prophet. You know uh, he raises up a, a prophet. I shall raise up a prophet from a, among your brothers. In contrast to all the the pagan false prophets uh, of the of the Gentiles, the nations. Uh, as, as on the day you said, uh, uh, do not have God speak to us, but, uh, but you speak to us. And so uh, God, he raises up a prophet in Israel. He speaks through the, the prophet. You have sort of this generic reference, but then in the broader context, you, you have things like uh, that, that elevate and elevate the status of Moses that we'll see like with Miriam and Aaron 
uh, oh, not so with my servant Moses. And, and you, you'll, see these, you'll see these connections uh, where you have those who fill the office of prophet, office, uh, their, uh, the prophet par excellence in their own day, and yet God's not done speaking, you know. And uh, you get to the end of Deuteronomy, you know, there has not been a, a prophet, you know, quite like Moses for all the signs and the wonders and terrors, you know, that he performed and, uh, with Pharaoh. And, and so you have these things that elevate, you know, the, the, the broader expectations for these offices, which I think in the broader context, uh, that's where you see the, the status elevated, the expectations. And it's kind of like it with, uh, you have those who fulfill the office of judge, king, priest, prophet, uh, throughout history, but wait, uh, an everlasting kingdom that reigns forever, and uh, Israel's to be righteous, their king's to be righteous, you know, they're to rule, their king's to rule, God's the ultimate and, and only ultimately righteous and perfect uh, judging king and uh, priest and, and uh, prophet, you know, one who proclaims his word. Uh, but on the other hand, you and your king will be cursed and cast out of the land. What? How can, how can both things be? And so you have these expectations, you know, uh, Isaiah, that there will be this, uh, this one, uh, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, uh, you know, the increase of his government will never end, and uh, he'll be upheld on, on his shoulders now and forevermore. Well, you, you actually see these themes woven throughout Isaiah uh, and God preserving his promises and, you know, the Davidic line, the Davidic dynasty, the Davidic king, and Hezekiah is better. You know, definitely, unlike his father, he is a believer, but when he's sick at the end of his life, God will extend your life 15 years. Uh, everlasting father who the you know his government will never end what 15 years <laughs> like really you know is that is that all you know <laughs> mighty god everlasting father you know uh, well at least there'll be peace and safety in my day you know <laughs> your descent and so there are these offices and they're relevant throughout all of israel's history but there are these expectations that are so grand and so high that you see you know, and with Malachi, God, he hasn't said his last word yet. You know, he's, he's not done speaking yet. You know, he speaks about uh, the, it even seems like there are a couple different prophets that he talks about that are going to, to come and, you know, and uh, even, you know, prepare the way for Yahweh to come, the Lord. And so God's not done speaking, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the expectations haven't reached their uh, culmination. And so uh, here you, you see some of these connections with like Deuteronomy 18, but then these other passages that elevate your expectations for the nation uh, and for offices of judge, king, priest, and, and prophet uh, along, along the way. And so uh, verse 20, 22, or uh, verse 21, uh, the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness uh, where God was. And Yahweh said to Moses, thus you shall say to the people of Israel, uh, you have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. So now to Moses, to the people. <laughs> so God spoke directly to them. Now to Moses, 
Moses speaks uh, to the people. Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, you have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver uh, to be uh, with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen in every place where I cause my name to be remembered. I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones, for if you wield your tool on it, you profane it, uh, and you shall not go up uh, by steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed on it. And so, you have sort of the first four commandments centered on God, uh, and then the fifth through tenth, kind of the relationship with their, uh, their fellow brothers, and sisters, you know, fellow fellow Israelites, uh, sons of Israel. Uh, and then you have these last two commandments, which aren't part of the 10 words, but might be kind of, you kind of see 12 and such, uh, where it kind of goes back to now dealing with idolatry, where it all begins with idolatry. You, you know, you shall only serve uh, the Lord your God. Uh, that's it. Back to idolatry and an altar you know, a place to worship and to offer uh, to him. Yeah, Eric. Uh, uh, Jerry was asking how long back was it was, uh, was that king that got 15 years yeah. extended? Was that the question? Was that back or what? Mm -hmm. uh, how long ago was Isaiah written? Oh, 8th uh, eighth, uh, century. And so maybe until uh, around, uh, lived around 6th. Six, uh, 685, uh, he, he might have died a, a, a little bit uh, earlier uh, earlier than that as well. B.C. Especially. Yep, B.C. Before Christ. Yep, yeah, yeah. That's what B.C. means. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and uh, he, he uh, served in... Uh, B.M. 65, I'm thinking. Ruled as... Okay, Lord. Yeah. B.M. He, he ruled as... Uh, Kind of a, a partner, uh, kind of on, on his father's uh, throne, and uh, and uh, it's like Eugene Merrill and others uh, talk about like then became sort of senior partner, and then uh, around like seven fifteen, uh, seven sixteen, uh, he became sole uh, sole ruler uh, in in Israel. As far as <laughs> the human king goes, uh, God God's the. The, the ultimate kid. ruler. But a bad kid, well, forgive him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so you have the ten words, but then verse 21. Beats nothing. Or chapter, chapter 21, I mean. Beats nothing. Uh, verse, right. verse 1, you go into the book of the, the covenant, which goes through chapter 23. Now these are the rules that you shall set before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave or servant, uh, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. And so, like Eugene Merrill speaks about, like with Deuteronomy and such, oftentimes you'll have sort of these more general uh, principles, uh, these general laws, instruction. And Torah kind of has a range of meaning where can focus kind of more maybe on what we call like law, but oftentimes it has kind of a broader idea of instruction uh, that. Uh, that God gives, and even kind of find these uh, themes of like wisdom and such uh, throughout uh, throughout Scripture. That 
you know, it's, it's, it's wisdom. It's, it's from, uh, from God. And that's kind of like what Brian S. Rosner uh, talks about where it's still applicable as, as scripture, you know, as wisdom, as, as prophecy uh, for our instruction. Which reminds me of that verse that talks about God's foolishness is wiser than man's wisdom. And then when Christ came, it says foolishness to the Gentiles. Yeah, but yeah. And the cross. Yeah. The, the pinnacle of, of his, his wisdom. Is that a promise? His, his, his anointed king, his uh, eternal son incarnate, the God-man crucified for the forgiveness of sins and resurrected. It's like, can you think of it? There was nothing more offensive uh, to, uh, well, and today, you know, right. trust in him or, or perish. And the, and the other thing on wisdom was, Ryan was showing me in Proverbs 8, mm-hmm. you know, Solomon was kind of known for the, the wisdom of God. And then there's that proverb that says, it's talking about wisdom. It says, you were with me when I created the yeah, foundations yeah. and you were, and it's. It per- personifies, personifies yeah. wisdom. Because wi- wisdom, uh, you know. Wisdom really comes from from God, right? Yeah, and, and then when Jesus comes down, it says He was in the beginning. You know, He was with God, and through Him all things were mm-hmm. created. So, it's kind of that same theme of Jesus being in the beginning, being wisdom. Yeah, being, yeah. Kind of follows. Who's the? Yeah, all, all the treasures of what? All the all the all the treasures of. Wisdom is, is part of it. All the, all the treasures of... of uh, wisdom. I'm trying to think the, the other words, but he talks about like righteousness and salvation and wisdom, you know, that they're uh, found in him. Uh, and so I, I think you're right there, kind of talking about you have to be careful, like, you know, like we we're talking about, like reading in context, where you can be like in Proverbs. And here it's personifying wisdom often as she. <laughs> You know, and so it's like, you know, you have to be a little, little careful, uh, as I recall. And so you can read that and just read back, oh, it must just be sp- speaking about Jesus. But what you said there, you see these themes that they, they draw on, that now you have uh, the eternal son incarnate. Here is wisdom incarnate. Here's the one who truly reveals God's eternal wisdom. And so, you know, sometimes they draw on these these themes and such that, uh, that you're talking about. And so kind of making the distinction about uh, how these things are like drawn on and, and used and understanding in the original context to know what are they doing with it, you know? So the, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. You know, if we don't have that, if we don't fear God and part of that, I mean, trusting God is the, the one to fear who can, not just the, uh, not just man who can kill the body, but one who, who, after killing the body, can destroy, you know, the, the soul uh, for, for all eternity. Uh, fear God. And so here you go from, like, the general, and Eugene Merrill says oftentimes you'll have kind of these more general instruction in law in teaching uh, from the, the king, and then you have more particular statutes in per, more particular situations how to deal with it. And a lot of it even kind of applies and mixes a lot of uh, the different commandments. Uh, you'll find stealing and taking someone's life and coveting. You know, a lot of these things are bound up uh, together. Committing adultery and stealing and covetousness, you know, uh, and ultimately like their idolatry against God. And so now 
We won't read through all that. But you go through chapter 23 uh, into uh, 24. He, he talks at the end of 23 about sending his, uh, his envoy uh, before him. His name is uh, upon him or in him. You shall listen uh, to all that he commands. Anyone who will not listen to him, I will require it of him. Uh, you see the, uh, the commander of Yahweh of hosts uh, with Joshua, and Joshua uh, bows down uh, be, before him. Uh, in verse uh, 24, uh, the ratification of the covenant and here uh, we'll see reference to the, the book of the covenant. Uh, verse 1, uh, Then he said to Moses, uh, Come up to Yahweh, uh, you and Aaron, uh, Nadav, and uh, Abihu, and 70 of the elders, and worship from afar. Uh, Moses alone shall come near uh, to Yahweh, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of Yahweh and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that Yahweh has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of Yahweh. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain in twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to Yahweh, here, even the young men, they're sacrificing, you know, kingdom of priests, holy, uh, holy nation. And there's some interesting things that uh, commentators and such like uh, Seelhammer talk about that uh, kind of have to think about as far as the, uh, the priesthood that comes in. I'm not sure that he kind of makes it sound like it was almost kind of a plan B or something, or not in God's like eternal decree and plan, uh, but uh, with uh, the people sort of rebelling that uh, there may be certain things where you see they even have to stand farther away from God, you know, to come come to his come into his presence and such. But here, on some level, I mean, they were a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, and they brought sacrifices even when they had the priesthood in the tabernacle to God. And Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, they sacrificed to God. Uh, but here, ratifying the covenant with the blood. And Moses wrote down all the words of Yahweh. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. So that's uh, on the, uh, the, the fourth, uh, fourth day and, or of the third month. And he, he wrote them, uh, wrote them uh, down and just keep reading a little more. He sent the young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to Yahweh. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that Yahweh has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, uh, behold, the blood of the covenant uh, that Yahweh has made with you in accordance with all these words. Uh, then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw God, uh, the God of Israel. Uh, there was under his feet as it were a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand 
on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Uh, Yahweh said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you uh, the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written down for uh, their instruction. And so here they ratify the covenant. Uh, the elders representing the people eat before God, Moses, the, the mediator. And you see God's grace. He doesn't lash out and, and, and strike the, the people, but uh, they have fellowship and communion with God as his people, as his, uh, his servant vassal, a vassal people uh, to uh, serve him and to uh, live uh, under, under uh, his, his word. But you see that Moses wrote down all the words in the book of the covenant. And then he read the book of the covenant uh, in, their, uh, in their hearing. Uh, and so recorded it for the reading to the people uh, to as covenantal documents uh, to remember uh, God's words to them, uh, to keep them uh, as, as, as a statute, as his people uh, for, you know, for, for as long as, uh, as, as they lived and, and their children uh, under uh, the covenant that, that he had, had established uh, to be his people in the land, in the midst of the earth, and to be kingdom of priests, holy nation, a blessing to, to all nations. And so here you see, you see these whole segments, you know, this uh, uh, right in a book, uh, you know, to Joshua, I will utterly blot out Amalek from under heaven. You know, uh, all, all, the, all the men and such, uh, you'll blot, blot them out. And then you see the Ten Commandments. I mean, God himself speaks, and then Moses speaks to the people, but then writes down the Book of the, the Covenant, which was at least uh, Exodus 21 through 23, written down. You don't have the Book of Exodus yet. You don't have a Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, but you're, you're seeing it, like, come together uh, even in their, their very first year uh, here. Oh, we're already uh, running out of time. Uh, we'll, go, we'll go faster with uh, some things like uh, next week and such. But these are covenantal documents, and they're from God. I mean, God spoke first audibly to the people. And then when the people say, don't have God speak to us out of fear and terror, but uh, you speak to us and we'll listen. So Moses now speaks and proclaims God's words, but ultimately they come from God. It's the word of God. Uh, all the way from the beginning, there's this acknowledgement uh, that God had spoken and the words uh, that came from Moses uh, Yep, they're, they're the words of his prophet, but ultimately they're the very words of God. Uh, uh, covenant, binding, uh, even uh, to reject God's word, you come under the, the penalty of death. You know, there's blessing and there, there was uh, cursing. Uh, they were binding authoritative uh, words. And so very important for understanding what we read uh, in Genesis uh, through uh, Deuteronomy uh, from uh, from Moses and even beyond with his uh, prophets and apostles uh, in Scripture for understanding the very nature uh, of of Scripture and uh, even all these people uh, who say you get like theologians in the 20th 21st century oh you know ideas like inerrancy and you know and oh they're, they're just the words of man or they're just reflections of man on what God had had revealed or done in their lives 
but you know they're fallible and such and no they're they're ultimately the very words of god yes he he used human human authors and prophets and sometimes used their own personalities and such to write things down but uh, it's the very very word of god and so uh, there they eat before him and you have this theophany a uh, god manifesting his presence right in their midst right on uh right on the the mountain that you see woven throughout uh, even with uh Elijah going up on the mountain and then uh, he, God manifests his glory and speaks to him and then Elijah and Moses see Jesus glory the son's glory and he speaks to them <laughs> which is uh, absolutely stunning what does that say about you know his his garments became bright you know brighter than uh, the finest like bleach uh, on, on all the earth and you know he's radiating light uh, that's Yahweh who, who does that. And so uh, the, the very, very eternal son. So well, let's just uh, close in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word and thank you for your prophet Moses and that uh, you've spoken all these words, that you've spoken them uh, clearly and authoritatively and, uh, and intelligibly uh, so that uh, we may uh, know you, uh, that uh, we may be uh, instructed in your word, uh, that we may uh, have hope, uh, the hope of salvation uh, in your son and uh, in his death, burial, and resurrection, uh, his once for all perfect sacrifice, uh, bearing uh, the sins of all who uh, turn from their idolatry uh, and sin uh, and turn uh, to trust in him alone. And so we Thank you for him and thank you uh, for, for your salvation and for your word and pray that you'd uh, send us home safely and bring us all uh, together uh, with uh, the body of Christ and also uh, to continue our study of your word. And so we thank you for these things and pray in uh, your son's name. Amen. Amen.